Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and... Um... This is all a reminder. You can listen to the Doug Outlet Show daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, uh, or you can download that podcast if you, if you want. If you ever want to contact me, uh, IG, Gottlieb Show, Twitter, Gottlieb Show, or the Doug Gottlieb Show on Facebook. Any of this stuff I check daily, sometimes weekly, whatever, I'll get to it. In the meantime, uh, without further ado, I'm not going to do much of an intro about other stuff going on. I will update you on on my thoughts on the NBA draft, on college basketball. We're getting ready. We're in March, et cetera, et cetera. There's going to be more and more of these pods, but this was too good. When we last caught up with Andrew Bogut, we had heard stories of him growing up in Australia, out in a suburb of Melbourne. Melbourne. I always feel weird. Should I be saying Australian cities in an Australian, I should have asked him this, in an Australian accent? Like, should I call it Melbourne or should I call it Melbourne? I don't know. You tweeted at me, at Gottlieb Show. Anyway, outside of Melbourne, he grew up in a uh, small suburb. Uh, passed over time and again for all the big clubs. He didn't even get to play in the national championship thing, but all of a sudden he made it to AIS, which is the top 12 kids at his age. 
and he became a superstar. Uh, goes to Utah, plays for Rick Majerus, great stories. So we have we had growing up stories. We had if you missed it, download that's part one. It's really good. Now we get further on towards the NBA. So without further ado, let's catch up. Part two of our conversation with former NBA star Andrew Bogut. I'm sure you know this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway because uh, I was Chris Mullen told me this to be true. Is that they they told Milwaukee you can have Steph or Monte, you pick, and they pick Monte. That's that's yeah. the story. I know the story personally because the person who looked over the medical files, I'm pretty, I I had a good relationship with, and was told the exact same thing. Um, the yeah, the person. Uh, that was involved in looking over him, her role or their role was to strictly look at the medicals. That was the only opinion the club asked for them. That, that the club would do the talent evaluation. They just said, look at these two medicals and tell us which one's better. And there was huge concerns over Mr. Sankle at that point. And he got the mark on his name saying, this guy's got a, you know, his injury history is worse and could potentially play less games than Monte. And they went Monte. So that's, which is crazy, sure. crazy on it's crazy on two levels. First, on the Bucks, right? For not, but also for the Warriors, right? Because the Warriors are like, look, you have like, uh, and what he's become, it's really. I get roasted because when he left college, I just didn't think I didn't see it because he was so slight, and I was like, I know how how much fun he is to play. And when I when he first left, he'd only played point for a year. I was like, man, I don't know how he guards anybody. He's so slight. But I also came from the generation when I was playing professional basketball, so much more physical, obviously officiating changed, but it, 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 so I get crushed because of who he's become. Like I thought he'd be Hornacek. That's who I thought he'd be. Yeah. That was my, that was my comp. Play both positions, really shoot, but the ceiling there. And obviously he's become, when you got there, so you get there, camp, are you healthy in camp? No, 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 no. So, so my ankle, a lot of people don't know, I ended up having a microfracture on that uh, surgery, uh, which I didn't know going into surgery. It was kind of done on the whim because I didn't know how bad it was. Um, and so I get traded there with all this hoopla and attention. The Warriors have finally got a big man, blah, 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 blah. So I'm feeling that and I'm like, man, I want to be out of the court. Like they, they've invested in me. So I broke my ankle in January. I made training camp in September. Uh, stupidly, I was, should have been out nine or 12 months back in September. And like got to the fourth game, made the fourth game of the season. And my, my ankle just, it would literally be the size of a balloon after a training session or a game. So I was, I had to shut it down till February and then came back and was basically taking injections and painkillers just to get through the rest of that season. We made the playoffs. That was that, that year we beat Denver and took San Antonio to six. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was entirely healthy, which was frustrating. What, what did you think of, Steph at that point in, in like, what, what do you remember your initial impressions of? Oh, just the, the way he shot the ball was unbelievable. Uh, I'd be lying to say that I, I'd ever say he'd, he'd be the two time MVP. You know, I think, you know, there's not many people that thought that even if you look back at that trade, Warriors fans essentially didn't think that like, no matter what they say now, you know, there were Warriors fans that, that, that loved Monte and would probably have, preferred to keep him back then over Steph, you know, and um, the beauty of that trade wasn't necessarily just the Monte for me. It was freeing up Steph to be that guy and have the ball in his hands. You know, the knock on Monte was back then, he was fantastic for the Warriors, but he was a huge stats guy. And he was, 
somewhat competing with Steph at times about whose who's team is this. And that's what a lot of people don't realise. And I think um, that Warriors move ended up being genius. Even if Monte was traded for a water cooler, it freed up Steph to be who he was and show that he could, he could lead that team. And but I, would, I, would, I, I, I would tell you this, okay? So here's the underrated part about you. And this is the part which I feel like non-basketball people or maybe even what I do in broadcasting, we make everything very kind of linear for people to understand. But it's that you are a great passer. Draymond's a great passer. Um, you look at you know, some of those bench guys that were added as well that were, you know, actually, you know, like end up being point guards, really. When, when he became – one of the reasons he was able to become who he became, Sean Livingston, a former point guard, right, is – Yes, technically, Steph, I guess, is a point guard, but he's equally, if not more dangerous off the basketball as he is with the basketball. But the only way that works is if other guys can get it to him and can, can move it. And the, yes, freeing up Steph to handle the ball more helped, but he also essentially brought in a point center, right? You were such a great passer and a great screener, legal or illegal, whatever. Like those two things, I think, and I want to get to the Cavs series, when you got hurt, but those two things yeah. I think forever go underrated in what helped him go from where he was to where he is now. Is that is that fair? I think so. I think you know the first thing started with Monte, who was a guy that would go ISO a lot, so I took that portion away from from the team and, and what was going on. Um, but Steph's, in, in my estimation, I don't I don't have a better one-two man moving off the ball in NBA history in my books. Um, that, I think he's phenomenal moving off the basketball and creating opportunities for guys to slip just from his movement off the ball and his willingness to move off the ball. There's not many superstars in the league you can go up to and say, we're going to put you off the ball for eight minutes. They're going to they're they're lose their shit. You know, let me get my bag. I can, I can just break him down with the ball one-on-one. Where Steph will happily do that. And, yeah, having the pieces around, Draymond, myself, guys that can screen and get him open, guys that can read off that screen, Andre Iguodala, who can pass as, as well as myself or Draymond. Everyone knew how to handle the ball. Everyone knew how to move the ball. And everyone just knew how to play basketball. And yeah. it, it just ended up being natural and in sync. A lot of our offense wasn't called by Steve Kerr. It was, it was 90% of it was just in the natural flow of read and react basketball, which you can't just do with any roster. You can't, you know, we had that roster of guys. I spoke about it at length uh, a few weeks ago on, on the Rogue Bows. I said, like, Andre Guadalla would lose his shit when we had guys that weren't high IQ players because they couldn't fit in with that flow. And, and they just stick out like a sore thumb because they, you could just tell they, they, didn't know, they didn't know how to read and react. They needed a coach to say, run from point A to point B, something very regimented. And he'd just basically go to the coaches and GMs and go, get this guy out of here. You can't play here. And it made total sense. Draymond. You first meet Draymond. What was your first impression of this dude? Well, he was kind of a little bit different than he is today because he was a second round. Player. I know. He's he fat. Was kind of, yeah, he, he was a little overweight. Um, he wasn't as I – mean, he, was, he had an intensity about him. He wasn't as vocal as he is today. Um, he will be the first to tell you, and he's, he's been on record saying this, that you know, if Mark Jackson was still the coach, he'd probably, he'd probably be playing in Europe right now. Uh, and he based that on that Mark was trying to play him at the three because he was only 6'6", you know, and Draymond's not a three-man, you know. So once once Steve, even Mark later on 
the end of his tenure, figured out you can play him at the four. And then Steve even went more extremes and the said five, he can play yeah. at the five. It opened up his game perfectly because he's a guy that plays way bigger than his size. His uh, wingspan's huge. But, I mean, yeah, to see Draymond's growth has been fantastic. And he's the epitome of a guy that could have been potentially out of the league, just not taking no for an answer and then becoming an all-star and, and a, you know, a, a guy that's invaluable for his team. Did you like him right away? I, I got along with him. Yeah, I, I look, Draymond and I butted heads. He's butted heads with everyone in the organization, from the coaches to people that, that, that put the popcorn in the bags. That's just Draymond, right? He, he's an intense character, and it's ever rarely personal. And I've gotten into it with him numerous times, but we were poker buddies. You know, we, we um, hung out a lot, and he was fun to be around. But, you know, some days you, you want to talk to him for a day because you get into it and you leave it. But the next day, it's, it's over with, and you get on with life. And that's, that was the beauty of that team. We had, we had a lot of those scuffles throughout the seasons, on court, during games, during practices. But we knew the next day, it's, it is what it is. Let's move on. Outside of playing Draymond at the four and at the five, what else about Steve Kerr changed everything? He didn't, like, come in and, like, change a lot, to be honest with you. He, he left our defense as it was. Um, Ron Adams tweaked a few small things. But his whole thing was turnovers. Like, I don't know what we were. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we were, we were top 10 turnovers before Steve came in, probably even top five. He said, if we can get that down, just five turnovers or four turnovers, we're going to win a championship. And we did, you know. And um, he was big on just looking after the ball, they charted passes per possession. So I think four or more passes that first season was we shot in the 50s or the high 50s, 60% with four or more passes in the possession. And when it was two or less, it was like high 30s, low 40s. So they, they charted things like that. Movement, don't turn it over. You guys win a championship. Do everything else the same. And he was really big on that to the extremes of opening training camp was high school type training camp dribbling balls through cones, passing the ball through a toss-back net. You know, all right, we're doing chest passes. Now we're doing but and, and Draymond was like, what the fuck is this shit? We're not in high school anymore. Like, <laughs> losing it. Losing it during training camp. But the method of the madness that Steve implemented, I understood, because he was like, I'm, I'm put, planting your brains. If you guys need to be treated like high school kids to make sure you guys are making fundamental plays, we're going to do these super drills. You know, you, if we have a game where we t- turn it over 20 times, guess how we started practice that next day, doing all that bullshit. So then we kind of, guys were like, oh, if we don't want to do this shit anymore, let's, let's make sure we're, we're fundamental, and, and we were. Um, okay, so the first year, you win a championship the first year, though, right? So the first year he gets, yeah. first year with Steve, you won, you won 67 games, yeah. right? I mean, crazy stuff. And you get to the NBA, you get to the NBA finals, and um, that was when uh, Kyrie got hurt, right? First game. Is that overtime yep. game? Kyrie got hurt. Um, but what was what was that what was that run like? You, the Cavs, uh, the first time. What do you remember? Uh, just being in the finals and the circus that goes along with being in the finals was was interesting. Um, it was just, I guess, everything changes. You can't use your own practice facility. You got media everywhere. It's a lot of time constraints. Um, I remember that. And just the attention, I mean, to realize you're the last two teams standing in basketball at the time um, was was interesting. And just the shift in the series, you know, we went really small. I kind of played a lot early and then towards the end of the series didn't play a lot. 
And I think just understanding that it was hard at the time. And Steve said, look, we're not going to start you. You're going to play limited minutes. We want to go smaller. Three, one at five. The numbers look much better. Um, and they didn't really have a scoring big. Whereas the series before with Memphis, with Zebo and, and Gasol, you know, I was playing 30 minutes and, and guarding those guys because they were big threats in the post. So took a bit to understand. But once I did, you know, I had a ring on my finger. Um, okay. What, what the, one of the big memories in that series was Delhi was great the first couple of nights, right? Yeah. But Delhi all of a sudden got this reputation of being a little bit dirty. And like Delhi's your boy, right? Now look, <laughs> Delhi is probably a little bit, but I mean, if you want to be a backup point guard in the NBA, right? You got to be willing to, you got to be willing to get dirty, right? You got to be willing yep. to be a little, little bit more physical. Uh, you got to, you have to change the pace of the game. So this is, he's not in the NBA if he's not tougher than a $2 steak. But as a guy who, I know he's your competition, but he's also your friend, and you're watching now, everybody's talking about him like he's some dirty player. What was that like? I hated Daly during that series. <laughs> um, you know, even though he was my friend, like I think when you're in that moment, you know, he's my enemy to, to the national team, which was a couple of, couple of months later. So he had a hell of a series the first couple of games. And... But he was, he was a guy that hadn't played a whole lot of minutes in the regular season. I think he was playing 15 a game, 10, 15 a game maybe. Then all of a sudden, Kyrie goes down. He's playing 35, 40. And he got, they got back to Cleveland after game three. He ended up in hospital. He, had, um, he, went, into, he went into full cramp mode where he couldn't, he couldn't stand up. Um, they had to team an ambulance to hospital, give him IVs. So he was, he was under the pump. And I think... Um, I think he blew his load those first couple of games. You know, I think he really did just because he, he was playing. He was, ch- you know, obviously you're never going to really shut down Steph, but he did a good job just being there, running off screens, being in his body. But that takes a toll, man. And you got me and Draymond moving screens, hitting you. And yeah, I mean, he he he, he locked up after three or four games. And, and once that was done, they didn't really have enough to, to get over the line. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know, it's interesting. You know, they, they left, they kept leaving Iggy open in the corner, right? That was, he was the yeah. guy that, that, and he made, well, he made it. And that's how he became the, the finals MVP. And so I'm sure there's at least part of you as you sit here now, like I got a ring, it doesn't matter. But like, fuck, I mean, if I'm wide open, I can make that shit too, right? Um, how do you process the, I played last, we won. It's that you got a ring, but you didn't, in the, at least in the finals, you didn't get to contribute as much as you want. Oh, like I said, it hurts a little bit to an extent where you're in the moment, you're like, man, like, I was a starting center on a team that won 67 games and got to the NBA Finals, but the move worked, right? Like I can't be can't be bitter about it. You know, we were we were down I think two one at that point, and a big game four in in Cleveland, and made the adjustment and never looked back. So um, I still got into the into the game in game four, a little bit in game five, and you know just try to I guess play that role as best you can. But it was it was a, a frustrating day when you get told. Because um, you never want to hear that. And look, to be honest, I wasn't playing fantastic those first couple of games. And the analytics and the numbers of our death lineup, you know, that, that small ball five, Draymond at the five, you know, the numbers don't lie. So once they, um, we played that for 30, 35 minutes, you know, and Andre had a hell of a series guarding LeBron, it, it all kind of changed. All right, speaking of LeBron, and, and Andre, you know, was, was doing an unbelievable job on him. What was your opinion of LeBron at that point? He was, I mean, he was a guy that we had to kind of stop. He had a hell of a series. He, he, had, he put up crazy numbers um, in that series. And we knew that, you know, uh, we got to a point where, you know, he's, he's a fantastic passer and playmaker. We weren't overly concerned with him going for 30, 35, 40, to be honest with you. Um, we were more concerned with him having a, line, a stat line like 25, 14, and 10 because other people would then be involved and then late game, it changes the way we, we blitz things or guard things or double things. When it's just one guy, it makes it a little bit easier to kind of game plan for late game. Whereas if everyone's feeling good about themselves into a fourth quarter, it, um, it changes. And that was an issue we had with Mark Jackson. Um, we had – he was an old school coach where it would be whoever scored last possession, we're going back to them until the well runs dry. That was his mentality, right? Problem with that was – if you're Harrison Barnes or Andre Iguodala and you're in the corner spot and you don't touch the ball for 15 straight trips and then you get to a late game, let's say Steph's got 30, 35, 
into a fourth quarter and the team starts getting the ball out of Steph's hands. It goes swing, swing, swing to Harrison Barnes, wide open in the corner. Very important shot to either put us up to or keep us in the mix. Or And he just touched the ball. <laughs> Hasn't yeah. touched it. That's a, that's a harder shot in basketball to make, in my opinion. You go back to how you said, you know, you're wide open, you should make it. In that instance, it's a hard shot because you haven't that felt is. like you're in the – yeah, you haven't felt like you're in the rhythm of the offense. You haven't felt like you've been involved. And it's like, hey, Harrison, hey, Andre, you better make this fucking shot. <laughs> it's just like – so that's where I think with LeBron in that series um, – That's how people That's how went, people defend him a lot. Like, remember a couple years ago when the Pacers – his last year in Cleveland, when the Pacers almost beat him. Like, that's what they did. They were like, hey, man, you're going to beat us? Go ahead. And it almost worked. Like, they didn't have a very good team. But yeah. because they made LeBron – one, he gets tired because you get way more tired trying to score every time down. Yeah. And then two, other, other guys are not nearly as engaged when they're not touching the ball. And it's a, it's a philosophy. It's one of the things that I think skews his numbers so much that people don't understand. They look, well, look at his numbers. Like, yeah, but that's because they wanted him to score a little bit, maybe not as much as he did. But you want him to score because it, it, it isolates him. It freezes out other dudes and it wears him down. Like, it is a philosophy that does work. It does. And like most teams, if you don't have good, good role players that are involved throughout a game in a playoff series or a final series, someone's going to manipulate that and try to make, you know, we'll live with, we'll live with, like I said, LeBron having 40 and making sure that his assist numbers are down so other guys aren't involved. Then we can make that adjustment late game in a, in a big possession. Okay, so you win a championship. You win 67 games. How much did things change for the team, for the guys, like the personalities? Now that you're, you're, you, you take a, all those guys take a different level of stardom. The next year you get back together training camp. How much did stuff change? I changed it changed a fair bit. I think the pressure even went up, to be honest with you, because our expectation now went up. Um, that second year where we won seventy three, we went into every game with an expectation of winning, um, and it was. Yeah, I think ratchet it up. Where you think it do the opposite. You think it, you know, you've got your chip, you can kind of calm. We had a sense of calm within games where we'd be down 10, 15, and we'd never really panic. But if we lost one game until our next game, it was hell. Um, and we won, you know, we only lost nine. <laughs> you know, but, that's you know, nine ga- think about that, okay? You lost mm-hmm. nine games in an 82-game season. Oh, I can't even imagine what... I- yeah, and it's... You know, the fact that we couldn't cap it off is probably the most disappointing part because it's kind of forgotten about a little bit. But we had a phenomenal year. And we look, we had probably 10 games that regular season we shouldn't have won. When you looked at a three-quarter time score or a half-time score, we were down like 10, 15 points. And then, you know, sometimes we put in most space and he'd, he'd score 10 straight for us. You know, we just had so many different things we could go to. And, yeah, we, we, it was just a fun process, but it was also – I felt like the pressure was up even more because we kept ourselves so accountable where, you know, after a loss, it'd be to the extent of, man, Bose, why didn't you box out that play? Man, what the fuck? Or, Steph, you're wide open. Like, you should have hit that. Or, you know, why didn't you make the right play? Why didn't you rotate on defense? Like, we'd be overthinking that shit because we were so competitive wanting to win that you, you'd almost want that next game to hurry up and come because it was like those three days between were not fun at all. Um, okay, so you get to the NBA Finals. Well, now it's the Cavs again, and they're kind of reloaded. Now Kyrie's healthy, so it's a little bit different. How, what was this one like as opposed to the previous one? 
Well, at a whole, it was just a massive swing. It just shows you that a seven-game series, you know, anything can happen. Um, we felt like we had probably had it won, um, which, you know, we blew them out basically three out of the first four games. It wasn't – I mean, the first two games at home weren't even close. Um, they got us – was it game game three they got us? Um, and then we, we, we come back for game five up 3-1 and – we thought, you know, we thought we were in a great position. Obviously, even looking at the numbers historically, we've, you know, the numbers said that most teams are up three-one win. Um, we we, we kind of changed the trajectory of that of that, but yeah, it just it just all turned. I mean, game game five, I still remember it. LeBron gets Draymond suspended essentially. Let's call spade a spade, and um, yeah, I mean that that hurt what, us. Did you, did you get hurt in five, or did you get hurt in six? Five, yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, look. Our rotation was messed up already with Draymond out because we couldn't go small ball as much. Um, it ended up being Andre would have to play the five. His back was really screwed up that series. He was he was fighting back spasms the whole series. A lot of people don't know. He was probably at 50%, 60% health. And then, yeah, I, I felt like I was having a really good series that, that, that one. You know, I, I kind of came with a mentality of like, I'm not getting benched again. Like, fuck that. This, this, this final series and... My numbers weren't off the page, but I was—I had some O-boards, big O-boards, but it was more my paint presence. I felt like I'd blocked LeBron a few times in game one and two, and I felt like he was searching for me at times when he was turning the corner. He was looking for where I was at, which is what I want, right? Because I'd either block his shot, I'd be there early, try to take a charge, or I'd just foul the shit out of him. It was one of the three, right? So once I kind of got out of that, out of that lineup, it then put a lot of pressure on Festus to play more minutes, and it felt like LeBron just started getting in the paint um, at ease, especially, you know, game six and seven. And, yeah, I felt like, look, I wouldn't have, you know, changed a series in game six or seven completely, but I think just having that presence out there for 20 minutes um, definitely would have helped. But the Draymond thing just threw, our, it just threw our lineup out. And then, you know, you come back to game six. Now our lineup's changed again, even though Draymond's back. I'm out. Uh, you know, the momentum shifted and you got to give Cleveland credit because they stole it. They definitely stole that series and you give them credit because, you know, we, we, we tried, it was a late game, Kyrie hit a big shot, but there were a lot of things that, that kind of went against us and we just couldn't, we couldn't bounce back from that. What's the feeling like, the helpless feeling like? Like the year before, you were healthy, they just chose to go a different way lineup-wise, right? But now you're not healthy. So you can't physically be out there. What, what's, and you were playing, what, what's that feeling like, emotionally? Uh, it was that was horrible just because it was the end. Of, it was the championship year, and it, and it was just more from the point of like from an individual point of view. I was I was having a series, like I was having I was like blocking two or three shots a game and um, rebounding well, and you know I just felt like I was playing playing well. As you know, it all came together for me. Um, but then only that, not only that, it was an injury that I couldn't couldn't take an injection for. And, you know, if it was something I could shoot up with cortisone or a painkiller and keep playing, it was like my knee was screwed like I was out six six weeks barely made the Olympics um which was three or four months later and that, that was more the frustrating thing there was nothing I could do um you know and just had to kind of be a cheerleader from the locker room essentially what's it, that but that was your last game as a warrior too right yeah oh uh, well, no came back <laughs> but yeah in that in that that that, that era till KD came yeah obviously and then then came back for that little retirement ceremony um a couple of seasons ago Okay, so that season's done, you're injured, and the free agency thing starts. And they, they go and get KD. Um, 
my personal opinion of it was because because as you pointed out, like Harrison Barnes, remember how many open shots he had, open looks he had that series, he didn't make them, right? And so the idea was like, as much as you guys were ahead of the league with playing small, people were starting to catch up. And I, I think you guys did need K, KD. I don't know if KD was the right fit, but I do feel like you needed him. But what did what did you think of the KD move when it happened? And you're sitting there, you, it pops up on your phone. What you think? I kind of knew it was in the works for a long time. I mean, I I had heard from some people that that was being discussed in in during the season, um, before the report of Draymond stuff. You know, um, I, I think it was uh, I heard around New Year's there was a potential meeting. I think in that season around New Year's New Year's Day somewhere around there. So I think it was discussed, um, heard rumblings. But look, if I'm the GM, I make that move all day. Like I'm not 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 pissed at the Warriors. Like. You know, I had some salary um, holds on the, my last year of the deal was 12, 13 million. So then I was the odd man out. I had to move. And you bring in KD, you get that opportunity, you do it all day. Um, and it is what it is. It got him two more championships. Yeah. Um, okay, then. So then for you. So now you go back to the Olympics and you're kind of hobbled. Was it still as much fun the second time? It, it was. Um, it was my yeah. It was on my second time. That was my third Olympics. Um, but yeah, I, I oh, you think, played. You played in the Australia one. No, I played in uh, Athens '04, Beijing '08. I was hurt well, in 2012, and then '16 was uh, Rio. But yeah, I, I just made it. To be honest, I wasn't. I wasn't anywhere near 100. percent I basically had had a really bad bone bruise where I had a shitload of swelling in my knee. But I what I didn't know is what they missed on the scans was I tore I tore my fib head. Um, Tore a ligament okay. off the fib head. It's kind of that pointy part of the outside of your knee. That that bulge is a ligament that runs down the side there. Um, so I tore that, and that's what was giving me some issues. And I came back just uh, without a whole body of work and played real well. Um, early on in the Olympics, playing really well. You know, almost had a few triple doubles. Was, was playing really good basketball, and then I just like. Hit a hit a wall like four or five games in individually, like because I, I just had no fitness base at all. I, I wasn't working out really because my knee playing on all emotion, and, and it caught up to me late tournament. And we we had a good run, um, but yeah, we end up we end up finishing fourth. Um, dubious call against Spain in the bronze medal game on Paddy Mills. And we didn't get a bronze medal, but I mean I enjoyed the experience. It was disappointing not to get a medal, but you know probably came back a little bit sooner than I should have from the injury. But that's kind of what you do, right? Yeah. Um, the, the next couple of years were a mishmash, right? Like a bunch of different teams and, and, and pretty good franchise, right? Dallas and Cleveland um, and the Lakers and then back with the Warriors for that short stint. But, you know, as a guy who, you know, you're a starter, an NBA championship team, and now your body's breaking down, what's going on in your mind as you're, you're, you're going team to team and you're trying to just kind of keep your body together? Yeah, I mean, that, that was it. I mean, I, my body probably the last three or four years, I probably should have retired. Um, but it's it's hard um, to know that you can, what you could do, your body just won't allow you to do on a daily basis. I'd show flashes. I'd have a great day where I'm feeling good and everything comes together. But it's just hard. Um, and it was just the amount of time I had to put in just to get ready for a training session really got to me towards the end of my career. Um, it was getting to an 11 a.m. session at 9 a.m. and you know, doing physio and getting some treatment and then hot packs and then hot tubs and then stretching and then all this bullshit you got to do. And you see these young fellas and they just jump out of their car 
stretch for three minutes and then on the court, you know, that's where it, it becomes much more of a grind. So, yeah, like basically after the Warriors, still found a ride in Dallas, then Cleveland, broke my leg in Cleveland, and then that's why I decided, you know, come back, came back to the Lakers, and then after that decided I'm just going to play in Australia for a couple of seasons, it's one or two games a week. And didn't expect to go back to the NBA. I kind of shut that door. It didn't really didn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd got more than I wanted out of the NBA and wanted to spend more time with the kids and all that kind of stuff. And then when the Warriors thing came up, and to be honest, it was the only team I'd consider going back to at that point. Like a few other teams had called. I wouldn't have considered it. Just Golden State just made so much sense because there was a lot of good friends I had on that team still, a lot of good people that I liked. So it all came together and I, I took up the opportunity. And, the, the, and there's, got, there's some... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, they got the opportunity as well. Right, right, right after this final season in the NBA, NBL before I retired, I, I had a call from three or four teams trying to bring me over again um, to, to kind of fill in for the rest of that, 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 you know, that season. And then the coronavirus hit and they're all kind of dried up. But that was something I was potentially looking at to get to the Olympics. Um, but then once the Olympics got postponed, that's when I kind of made my decision to retire. Uh, so you're, you're done, done? Like they call you for the yeah. for the stretch run here. No, nah, like Laker, don't, Lakers don't. Lakers need a rim protector, right? Mark nah. Gasol like, looks like he's shot. They like come on, man. Like, <laughs> no, nah, man, I'm done. Like, I'm I'm, I'm content. Uh, 14 years in the NBA, two in the NBL, 16 years pro. Uh, the body's just said no. Like it's it's just been nice to wake up and not be sore. Uh, be able to play with my kids. Be able to go for a walk in the park and push them on the swing. Whereas. When I was playing towards the end, the last three or four years, like it was literally from the gym home to lying on my back, stretching in the lounge room for four hours or rolling out on a phone roll or just constantly sore and hurting. And it affects your mood at times, it affects your mental. So just getting away from that and being able to kind of just spend more time at home with the kids has been good. Um, the, NBB, the NBL, when you come back to that, what? because there's a lot of guys, it's like when you – it's like the problem with the big screen TV, right? Like once you have a big, big old 60, 72 inch TV and then somebody puts it on a 32 inch, like you used to grow up on a 32 inch and you look at it, you look down on it. What was it like for you to go from the very, very peak of professional basketball to playing back in your home country? Well, I enjoyed it. I knew it would be a step down as far as, you know, organization and money and, and somewhat. I mean, I have battles with the league to this day. Some of the organizational stuff isn't, isn't a money issue. It's just an organizational issue. And their battles I'm still having to this day, but I enjoyed it. You know, it was going back to cities and places that I'd kind of played when I was a young fellow in Australia. Somewhat a retirement tour in a way, but I played at a high level, especially my first year, won MVP in the league, played really well. The team that I joined was bottom two, bottom three for like three or four straight years. And then we finally made the top four, made the semifinals. So did okay. Didn't win a championship, which is disappointing, but I enjoyed I enjoyed the process and it was just good to be around Australian fans who had been part of um, different parts of my upbringing. You know, you might go to a different city, play that team and then catch up with someone or see someone that you haven't seen for 15, 20 years. So I enjoyed all that and I, I wouldn't change kind of the path that I've taken. And, and like I said, it, it kept me at home more. It kept me at home. I know I'm going to be home Monday to Friday in the NBL generally. And it just gave me a whole lot more time with, with two young kids. The, the Australian mentality, I feel like, is the part that we're all envious of, right? It's it just, there's something about the no worries, mate. Like, there's just something about it. Um, I, I, and I know you still maintain it a lot when you're in the NBA, but you're also, as you point out, like, even with Delhi, like, you're a 
hardcore competitor, right? Like your friends become your enemies. What was it like to adjust in your mentality back to the Australian kind of course? Everybody kind of thinks how you thought growing up or did it, has it changed and it's not the same as it was when you grew up? Like that, that mentality from living sta- in the States for so long and then moving back full time to Australia. Oh, it's definitely fair. Like there was a lot of young kids in this league that were trying to kick my ass and I was that old man that was not moving too well some games and I have to give him a hard foul every now and then to let him know. But um, yeah, there's definitely a valid point to that. The league is, it's a competitive league and it's, we have a lot of good imports coming over now. A lot of fringe NBA, former NBA players, which you never used to get five, six years ago. And the Australian contingent is always going to battle. That's a thing, you know, with this league that no matter where the talent level is at, some guys might not be as talented. They're going to hit. They're going to hit you. And they're going to. They're going to wrestle you. They're going to throw you to the ground. And that was that was exactly the experience I had. You know, and I think I, times we even got it. I probably got it harder than most guys would, just because a lot of young players trying to make a name for themselves in this league by going at a guy that played in the NBA and won a championship and had a pretty good career. What did you think of when Lamelo Ball came? What did you think of Lamelo? I didn't think he'd be this good. I'm not going to lie. You know, I fall on my sword on that one. I didn't think he'd be this good this early. I knew you could see he has a real high basketball IQ and he's very, very good at, point, at the point guard position, out of pick and rolls. He always made the right decision, whether to shoot, whether to hit the corner three, whether to hit the roller, whether to throw a lob. He just, you could see that. His three ball over here wasn't great. You know, he shot a lot of those long logo threes and a lot of bad ones in transition. And you just thought like his three just didn't look good. He didn't shoot at a high clip. So I, I thought, going to take him a couple of years to get that three ball right and then he'll start to really excel but man he's been fantastic and he's fun to watch you know he's, he plays very very openly and yeah I'd, I'd be lying if I said that I thought he'd have this impact from day one in the NBA um, of that group of the Warriors who is the best teammate as far as on court or off court you pick either oh man I mean I got along really well with Harrison Barnes like we um Thing I liked about Harrison, we were really good friends from day dot. He's kind of got a dry, sarcastic sense of humor, much like myself. So we, we got along straight away because of that. The thing I really like about Harrison is we, we discussed a lot of things that went on basketball, whether they were social issues, political issues, things in Australia, things in America, things from his hometown. And we, the thing I liked about him, we, we, we disagreed on a lot of things, um, but it didn't, didn't change our our friendship it didn't change our camaraderie and we didn't take it personally. Like I had different views on different things and so did he, and we would get in depth discussions about him. That would be actually a great podcast or a great thing to interview sometimes, but it was the way society should be those, those conversations. And I think we've lost that a little bit. Now if people disagree, whether it's about an NBA player, an NBA team, politics, social issues, it straight away becomes toxic. Whereas the beauty of Harris and our relationship was we could talk about anything and not, not offend each other, which was, um, which was awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. How do, by the way, how does, how do Australians, or at least in your area, how do they view everything we're going through? Not just COVID, political, uh, social issues. Like what's, what is it, what is it like to be somebody who, oh, you, you spend a bunch of time there, you know what it's like, right? Like what, how do they view us? Oh, we, well, it's hard. We, all we get is what's on CNN or Fox News, right? So it's like you can't really explain. There's still, you know, there's, there's problems everywhere in the world. We, we, we usually get what, whatever you guys are going through, we get five years later. 
So I'm just yeah. waiting. I'm just waiting over here. We've, we we really follow what's going on in America like that. But I mean, it's just a strange time. Like I've never seen, you know, even in Australia, like the, the, the just the sense of division in society today. You know, it's not good. It's not healthy. Um, like I said, people can't disagree on things without it being toxic and start throwing labels on. Why, why do you think that is? Because my experience is the same experience you have. Like, you know, I, I played in locker rooms where I was the only white dude or one of the only white dudes. I never had any issue. And, you know, I'm, I'm almost always been the only, except when I played in Israel, there's never any Jewish guys on the team. Right. So you're, you're already disagreeing on religion, on race, whatever politics. But why do you think it's become so, so divisive? I don't know. I think the media doesn't doesn't help it. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, whether you're one side, you know, you just look at the CNN and Fox News equivalent, right? They're both the right. somewhat the extremes on both sides. People that watch CNN are like, we're not the extremes. They're the extremes. People that watch Fox News are like, we're not the extremes. There, you're just like, you're not going to get anywhere. It's just going to be constant division. And we do it on sports, though, too. Now, right? We put we put one guy on one side and like, debate the topics, and there be, there's no the world is gray. It's not black and white. The world is gray. Yeah, but with sports, is a little bit different. Once it becomes people that, you know, you can throw shit at sports stars because you don't really know them or it doesn't really affect you that much. But once it starts talking about religion, race, color, creed, all that kind of stuff or social issues or even tax issues, whatever it is, right, that's when it, it becomes toxic. And it's like my whole thing is like just having adult discussions where you're not going to agree with everyone and, trying to, you know, come out with the best solution or, you know, you might have, have a conversation with someone that you, you think I'm not going to agree with one thing they say. And then you're like, Oh, actually there was one thing that there was a valid point, but you know, it seems like society based on team politics, which I absolutely can't stand people that are, that support politicians or political parties, like a sporting team are absolute morons and that they're a big part of the problem, whether it's left, right, middle, whatever, I don't care. Um, if you can't look at an issue without your political lenses on, on what you believe with that issue, I believe this issue is wrong because. But if you're like, oh, it's right because my party said it was right, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, and that's that's where we are. Like, that's why it's that's why it's so toxic. It's just like I just don't see no end to it. It's almost like you're better off just turning off, you know, the news because, you know, you can't. There's there's no. Even just reporting, like let's say there's a train accident somewhere hypothetically in the world, it'll be spun into, well, in that state, this political party runs the train, so it's their fault. You're just like, what? You know, where, where are we going? Like, and that's why I just kind of, I really push back against it. Um, I'm against most sides of politics, to be honest with you, and I get a lot of shit for it, but I'm okay with it. Um, Shaq or Duncan, who is harder to guard? Oh. I got sacked towards the end of his career. So he was probably like I was towards the end of mine, hurting and probably struggling to get through day by day. So I, he gave me 36 one night when he was with Phoenix, when he must have been feeling good. So I saw the bad end of that. But um, Duncan was just, yeah, he was just so clinical, man. He had so much shit to him. And, yeah, you just knew once he once he caught on that block and turned and faced, you were like, oh, shit, <laughs> what's he going to hit me with, you know? So... I battled him pretty well at times. I felt like I matched up pretty well against him. But, yeah, he was just so fundamental and so good. And he could have a bad 36 minutes and then have a four-minute stretch where he turns a basketball game. So um, both within their own right are, are really, really good. But I didn't, 
you know, Orlando Shaq and Lakers Shaq. Ooh, I can only imagine trying to guard him weighing 250 pounds. Yeah, he was so he was so athletic too, right? Like he yeah, was big, but so crazy athletic when he was younger. And he knows how to play. Like people take away like, all right, he was big and strong and bullied people, but he could pass, man. And he knew, he could read the game. Like he had a high basketball IQ where he, you know, especially in the Lakers out of that triangle, you watch a lot of their sets. He, he made some fantastic passes out of out of the uh, triangle. So he wasn't your prototypical big strong bully. He had a bit of shit to him too. Um. Who's like the guy who's the toughest cover for you that we wouldn't like, give me a guy who gave you fits, but we wouldn't list as one of the all time greats. Like, man, I could not, that, that was a guy I really struggled. I think he's close to an all time great, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was dude, like, he's the frustrating shit out of me because he was seven six. He had the shooting touch of a guard, and there were games when I was in Milwaukee where I'd, I'd guard him textbook perfectly, push him off the block, step off, you know. He's trying to back me down. He doesn't move me. And then he turns, shoots a fadeaway over a contested hand. Mind you, my hand is probably only to his, like, chin because he's so big and just nets it. And you're like, man, <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? Like, you look at a coach, like, send a double team. God damn. Like, I did everything I could. So he was a guy that I, I really struggled with just because, you know, I generally got really good at guarding big, strong power guys that would try to get close to the rim because I could take a charge. I'd mess with them. I'd hit them really hard. And then, they tried to hit me back. I take a charge, play that mental game. But yeah, I was um, really well balanced and just had an unbelievable shooting touch. Now, was there like did Brad Miller did, was because he was like a bad version of you, right? Where he fouled the crap out of people and played that mental game. How did you play against guys who like were poor man's versions of what you did defensively? I annoyed the shit out of me, <laughs> just like I annoyed I annoyed the stars. <laughs> like, like you had guys like like a Reggie Evans or someone like that. Like I always mentioned him because he's a junkyard dog. Had no yeah. role other than just like pissing off whoever he was guarding, grabbing rebounds, setting screens, holding, grabbing. I mean, I think he's the guy that grabbed Chris Kamen's nuts back in the day. Yes, he would yes. do anything, he, anything he could, like to piss you off. And he was a guy that I'd, I'd get frustrated with a fair bit. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge, or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, okay. Uh, the hard, what's it feel like to foul somebody really hard? Like, dude comes down the lane and you just put him on the deck. What's what? What is that? That that feel? That feels like it's got to be a badass. Feel. And get, you know, and you know, guys are they always pop up and dudes get in your face and say something. You got to not flinch, right? What's that feeling like? From, oh, nothing. Nothing's really happened. Nothing. First of all, in the NBA, people usually get up and try to fight you once their teammates have got next to them. And they can hold them back, and then you know nothing's <laughs> going to happen. Like it's just one, like one out of a thousand might end up where a guy like runs around to the other team's locker and actually tries to do something. But even that now is orchestrated where, like, you're not getting through the 15 security guards. But, yeah, I mean, I would always – I wouldn't just do it just to do it. I'd do it – you know, if a guy was talking shit or, you know, trying to trying to be smart with me, I wouldn't really say a whole lot. I'd talk back, but then I'd just make a mental note of it. Like, if they've come down the lane and try and dunk on me or, or go up for a layup, I'm just going to take a free one. Um, or if we were playing like shit and needed something to roll us up, where we would start a little fight, like Draymond and I were notorious for it. We'd just lay someone out and then it would roll us up. They'd get rolled up, shit talking, this, that. And then it felt like, you know, it'll carry on to the rest of the team and we'd fire up and win that game. Better shooter, Clay or Steph? Oh, man. I think Clay, catch and shoot Clay, Steph off the dribble. That's the thing about Steph is that he goes left, he goes right, and he catches and shoots, right? Like it's... Most guys are supposed to play. He only does one thing, but no, 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 he just, there's not. And then the range. Clay, with Clay, can, get his, Clay can get his catch and shoot off on anyone, though. That's, that's the thing with Clay. Like, I've seen, I've seen guys close him out chest to chest, perfect stick stance, and he just holds that ball up above his head and just whacks it in where Steph kind of needs a bit more space and separation. But, um, I mean, look, on Monday, you'd say Steph. On Tuesday, you'd say Clay. But I think if I had to really pick, I'd say Clay for – your feet say catch and shoot and Steph. Steph off the dribble is just unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some times where you're sitting out there like, I cannot believe I'm watching this shit, like what these guys are doing. Oh, man. And that was like, you go back to my moving screens. It was like, I knew if I could just get an iota of a hit on someone just to make them change their route by like 10 degrees, I knew Steph would knock the shot down. Because I was just like, I just need to give him that, that, that split millisecond of space. And that's why I would just, that will, that's all I would bank on. Like, even if it was sticking my butt out late just to make him take that extra little bit of a route, it's, got, it's cash for Steph. So that was – But, but, that it's, was it, but it's an art. It is an art that you do, that you kind of perfected, right, to the, the ability to move just enough where it's not so blatant they have to call it, 
right? It's not so violent that it, you know, dislodges it just enough to where you clip a guy. And, and, and again, it's kind of the same thing. Once you clip a guy once, they're not running through your screen. They're going around you. They're changing their angle. Like that's an, that's an art. It is. And I, f- I feel like I taught Draymond on that pretty well. He's doing a fantastic job of it. But the thing I used to look for was like the guy guarding whoever I'm screening, if he put his hands on me to get around the screen, this is where I put a ref in a bind. Technically, that's a foul, right? So you can't right. touch a screen. Or you can't grab my hips or whatever. So as soon as I felt them you grabbed contact, his no, 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 I would just start. I would stand up and walk them back. Like, so I'd be moving. Yes. He's, fouling me. He's, he's holding my hips. So a lot yeah. of times the ref would be like, you're holding him. So the ones that I couldn't really get away with were you know, like your Kyle Lowry's or someone like that who were just bulldogs and would just try to chase. Yeah, and, and you just try to hit him. And you throw a hip, you get that call all day. But the one that would put the rest in a bind was that one. And I would, I would walk guys sometimes like a good three feet and be like, he's holding me. He's holding me. And, and then Steph would just have a perfect route to get an open shot. So, and the other thing is, if you're moving almost every other play, they're only going to call two or three of them a game. <laughs> You'll get away with yeah. the other seven or eight out of ten. They can't, they can't, they can't, call, they can't call every one. Um, exactly right. The greatest Australian basketball player ever is who? It's going to be Ben Simmons. Uh, probably is already. You know, he's a he's the only Australian to make the All Star team, so he's he's already there in my opinion. Um, I think up there as well. You'd have myself. You'd have Luke Longley, Paddy Mills, and Joe Ingles having a really good year this year. Um, so they're probably the five right now. And and your bench, you'd have Aaron Baines and Delhi would be on the bench somewhere. Um, it, it is interesting, like the the uh, Joe's deal, Joe Ingles. I mean, you talk about a guy who's had like the, the Clippers cut him, like literally like just yeah. released him. That was so, when they needed a was... three-man too. They needed yeah. a three-man desperately. They ended up getting um, – who did they get? They ended up with Jeff Green, one uh, year, Matt Barnes. Yeah, uh, hold on. Like... They did Jared Dudley. They did Jared Dudley first. Yeah. And then they did um, Luke Rich- – did they do Luke Mabute? Mabute was there, yeah, for a team yeah. of mine. Um, but, yeah, they, they, they had their – I mean – if there's anyone that would have fit in well, imagine, imagine you've got Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Joe Ingles at that three. Like, yeah. you're, you're, probably, you're probably going to a championship or close to. Like, that was the guy they needed. You know, 40 45% from three. You can actually take him, put Chris off the ball, get him a rest and put the ball in Joe's hands to run pick and rolls with DeAndre. Like, the Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert's really effective pick and roll. Like, they had their guy, but... Was that stigma of he wasn't in the league and they just didn't want him? What's next for you? Right now, just chilling out, just waiting for the world to somewhat get back to normal, like most people. So it's kind of hard to to pick one thing to do. Um, figuring out where I'm going to be long term is the priority right now. Kids start school next year, so we're figuring that out. Start up the podcast, so everyone listening at Rogue Bogues, Rogue Bogues podcast, we kind of. Do a bunch of cool shit and start getting some guests on as well, much like yourself. Um, but, yeah, I'll get involved in basketball in some capacity down the line. Um, won't be NBA. I doubt I'll be professional just because of the travel right now of kids in school. But I'll be involved in the game and just just enjoy not having to do something every day. Just, just can kind of do what I want at the moment. How do you, if one of your kids wants to play basketball, how are you going to handle it? I can do whatever they want. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of those guys. I'd love them to play basketball. I think it it probably um, bring out a bit of emotion if they they wanted to play and be serious about it. But 
I'm not going to be one of those parents like you have to do this or you have to do that. Do whatever you enjoy, you know, like tennis, golf. You're playing some sort of sport. Whether you want to be a sports person or not, you're going to play sport because it's going to it's going to teach you about a lot of different things in life, um, especially winning and losing, which I guess is controversial to say these days. You can't have kids losing these days because it's it just boggles my mind with parents. It does, it, it does, right? Like like you learn, you know, you you oh, have man. to learn. But look, I, so I, coach, yeah. I mean, so I coach, I have like 11s through 14s, whatever. And we, we, you know, we lose games or guys do my, my son's 11. He plays some 12s and some 13s, whatever. He's a little guy, but you know, we had a tournament where we're up three late and we're holding for a team to foul. I hold or get a layup or get fouled, layup or get fouled. And he takes corner three, he makes it, he's, you know, trotting back down the court. We get done with the game. Like, what are you doing? Like, what do you mean? Like, bro, we're up three, time and score. It's like, should I not have shot that? I was like, no. So he's like, I got you. I got you. No problem. Next game. <laughs> next game. We're up four. Same situation. And uh, he catches it open. It's like 11 seconds to go in the game. So we're pretty set, whatever. He shoots it. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, two possession game. We're up four. I was like, the, uh, am I losing my mind? Do we not just have the yeah. possession? But, you know, and then they, they have to. Like, look, you have to experience the at the free throw line missing free throws to lose a game. Like, that's a good, that's a healthy thing. You can't just win every game in life. It doesn't teach you anything. No doubt. Yeah, there's values in there's values to learn from winning, winning, winning the right way, and and being you know a good winner. Um, and then the same with losing, right? Like, and that's what I think. You know, these helicopter parents and just people in general. They, you know, there's a I don't know how it is over there where you are, but there's a lot of junior sports here now that are trying not to keep score and all that bullshit. Like kids know number one, kids know they know the score. They always know the score. Like, yeah. like so, you cannot put on the scoreboard. It's not changing shit. But to try and like bubble your kids by like, oh, we don't want kids going home thinking they lost the game. Well, they did lose the game. Like, and the only way they're gonna learn how to get better is by losing. Because in that next week before the next game, they better put some work in. Right? It's, it's Common sense, simple logic, but you know we're at a point now where you know that's frowned upon. Whereas with my kids, it's like you know my son cries, like he loses stuff, and he's four years old, and whether it's against me or even the younger brother, he'll lose and cry. It's like, well, bad luck. What are you crying about? Like, try harder next time, um, and you know put some work in during the week, and you'll get better. And that's deemed harsh in 2021, I guess. I, I didn't ask you about this, okay? The but part of the the loss to the Cavs was on the back of coming back from three, one down to beat the thunder. Yeah. Right? So, so let, let's, let's, we'll, we'll, let's dial that back for a second. Okay. What when you guys are down three games to one, what was the, was there any panic? Oh, of course there was some panic. They were balling, you know, um, okay. See, we're, we're balling. They had KD. Russ was playing really well. Um, they were playing. Roberson was having a good series defensively. So we were, we were like, shit, like, we need to figure something out real quick. And you know, that series was basically over until Clay just went bananas, you know, and brought us back in that game. I still remember we were, we were the um, behind our bench, the Oklahoma City fans. I don't know how long it was left when we were down five or six, 90 seconds maybe. I came down and started, like, abusing it, like, see you guys later, enjoy your flight home, all that bullshit. And then you turn around – once Clay knocked those shots, the whole stand was empty. <laughs> but and that was that wasn't even to seal the series. That was just to, I think to get us back in the series. So they knew after that they they'd missed their chance. But um, yeah, you could say that you know that bit us in the ass coming back to to the finals. Um, 
it felt like to me what you guys did was you put you and Draymond and like you didn't guard. It was just you're basically two guys were always you always put two on the ball with KD. I pressure up on KD and put two on the ball. It's almost like a two man zone. Is that what was happening? Somewhat. We just we just wanted to make, um, especially if Adams or one of their bigs was in a, a pick and roll, we wanted to get into KD early, even Westbrook at times to make him throw it to to that big earlier. So then that big would then have to make a play. So if that big was catching it above the free throw line and then had to like make a couple of dribbles to get to the rim or make the right pass. We'd rather that happen than anything else that they were trying to do. So if we had that, that blitz late or kind of in a drops where you've got Adams rolling and he's closer to the bucket and about to catch it, that's a dangerous spot because he can one, two and just dunk on you. So we, we made that adjustment through the series. It helped us. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, our star players made shots to get us back in that series. It wasn't anything that we changed specifically defensively. It was just... I mean, Clay game six yeah. was insane. Instead. That's what I mean. It was, yeah, it was just, that was a crazy, you know, Clay's notorious for having those six, seven minute bursts. And that one was, that was ridiculous. Like he was making some, some stuff he was making. You were just like, man, even Steph, if Steph shocked at some of the shots you're making, like, you know, you're, yeah. you know, you're making some crazy stuff. Um, okay. So now years later, which is a more prominent memory? Obviously once the finals but coming from three, one down or losing up three, one. Oh, I don't think about the Oklahoma series as much anywhere near as much as the finals. The finals are finals. Like you had a chance to go back to back, get a second ring, you know, really solidify that 73 and nine. We didn't do it. I mean, it hurts to this day. It still hurts. It will hurt forever. Um, but I am thankful that I'm one of the few players that managed to get a championship ring in the first place. Okay. Last thing, I promise last thing. And you, you played for, you know, the Warriors won championship, played a little bit for the Lakers, right? You've been everywhere. Number one overall pick represent your country in the Olympics. Like you've done so many different things. Now you're back home, you're retired, you got five family kids and you grew up in a very normal, lower middle income suburb. Your dad was a mechanic, right? And now I, I guess there's a multiple question. When you go to the ATM, do you ever check the balance? Not at the ATM. No, I, I check my balance, you know, almost daily. Uh, you do? Cause I, well, I manage all my own investments, so I um I don't check it to check it. I'm paying bills, and you know, I've got a bunch of different things I'm doing business-wise. Um, you know, in startup space and tech space, real estate, blah 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 blah. So um, I know I know where all my shits at at all times. So if there's a penny missing, I'm coming after someone. Are you are you a Bitcoin guy? I I have some Bitcoin. Yeah, yep, I have some Bitcoin. I had I bought some many many years ago. Uh, not when it was at. You know, I bought it at a, probably at its high about two or three years ago. And then I have a friend who's actually involved in the NBA um, with the Dallas Mavericks, Harrell Boss. And um, I know, yeah. he, he's, uh, he's big on Bitcoins. So he, he told me to buy some more, buy some more, trust me, buy some more. And that was, that was uh, probably three or four months ago now. So I've done pretty well on that as well. But I have a little bit, yeah. And I, I like, I've read up a little bit on it. Um, Dally's actually huge into it now. So he did a big thesis paper on it. Um, but it is looking like the way the world's going, it, it makes total sense if you understand it. Uh, you're a Tesla guy. You're a Tesla stock. I have Tesla. I had Tesla stock many, many years ago. Yes, I still do. Um, I have some, some friends that are friends with Elon. Um, and they, they heavily 
recommended that I buy some Tesla stock back then. So I did pretty well with that as well. So what's the one that you knew this one's going to hit and it was a stinker. I haven't had any huge stinkers. Um, this company in Australia called Telstra, which is our like a telecommunications company, basically the number one t- company here for phone line, internet, all that kind of shit. And I bought them years ago and they've just been absolutely horrible since I bought them. Um, <laughs> so that's a bad one. Nothing really bad. I mean, I've invested in a few startups that have gone belly up, um, small amount, smaller amounts, but coffee company out of, out of SF, kind of. Uh, out of Melbourne, went, the coffee, you went all in yeah. the coffee. And one sip, you're you like, made a mistake. Yeah, 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 made a mistake. But it was an interesting concept. It was like an automated coffee machine thing. I won't bore you with the details, but it made sense. It just, they couldn't get any traction in the market, couldn't get any stores to take their machines, and then bye-bye, they were gone. So the, I've definitely had some losses. Um, but I like to think my portfolio's far net positive than it is negative. No question. And uh, I bring it up because this was the last question is money is not a problem. And it, you're not a guy who lives, you're not, you're not rolling 15 cars deep or whatever. But what's well, I am it like? Uh, you are? Or well, collector cars. So they, they go up. And okay. Down. Okay. Yeah, no. okay. Well, then, well, then it takes us out. Your favorite collector <laughs> car is what? The car that you have. Well, most of my stuff's Australian muscle cars. So you wouldn't be familiar with them, but. My American would be, I have a uh, 1969 Ford Boss 429. So um, all original, you know, they're, they're a big time collector car for people to know their cars. Um, okay. So, but like, if you want to buy something, you walk down the street, you look in the window, like I want to buy it. What's that feeling like in terms of, I, I, I understand money's not everything and you're not somebody who lives to show off your money, right? It's, it, but yeah. what is that like to never really worry about money? Oh, it's, you know, an unbelievable thing to have. Like it's, you gotta be very thankful for it. I didn't think I'd ever be in this position as a young fellow. Um, you know, I remember looking through like toy catalogs as a kid, you know, when I was five, six, seven, eight years old and I'd circle, okay, you can pick one toy on each page in my hypothetical world that you can have, you know, and um, to be now that opportunity to not only for myself and for the kids to not, not have any worries about a mortgage payment or we can't go on a holiday this year because we don't have the funds. Like a lot of people through coronavirus doing it tough. But one thing I've learned along the way, um, the material things are great, but they don't, that's not really the value you get from your money. It's experiences. I think that's what I'm starting to learn. Like, it's like, being able to go to different things. I went to the aquarium here in Melbourne yesterday with the kids and just being able to do those experiences whilst other people are working. That's what the value in having money is being able to visit places in the world that you might, you know, most people don't get a chance to see or put together a nice birthday party for your children or whatever it is. Right. I think there, those things are more important than a nice watch or a nice car. Um, And you kind of learn that kind of towards the end of your journey in life. Usually most people that have money will tell you that when they're 50, 60, but I'm in a unique situation where I'm retired as, you know, quote unquote, and can understand that at an early age. How do you, how do you get, and I don't know if you can, but like you were hungry and you want to kick everybody's ass when you were coming up. And part of it was people told you no, people told you you weren't good enough. So now your kids through no fault of their own, they're kind of going to have maybe not everything, but they have everything they need. How do you, I, this is a question a lot of people who have any sort of affluence who are, who accomplish anything. How do you have that hunger? How do you establish the hunger for your child the way that you had it when you were coming up? 
Yeah, it's a hard one because they're going to be the rich kid on the team, right? So you have to, I think it starts at home with the parents. Like you've got to make them work for stuff. Like we make them put their toys away. Like I stop my wife. I, don't, I hate when my wife cleans up after my kids. I hate it. Now, keep in mind they're two and four, but I've got the two and a half year old knowing that you make a mess with the toys, you tip all those Legos out, you're putting all the shit back. Hey, you found it. Like, you know, and whether it's done immediately after or before bed, like it's going to get done. You're not going, and a lot of times it's like before bed, I'll make them go back in the toy room and clean all that shit up because I think you just need to you know, cherish what you've got, work for you got, but no, like it's not, we're not just going to clean, clean up after you. And that's a small thing to kind of mix in with what we're talking about, but that's where it starts. You know, if you start doing everything for them, they'll get to the sporting level. I'm like, Hey, can you make the basket for me? <laughs> hey, can you win the game for me? Like, no, you got to do this shit, you know? And I think it starts at home. And unfortunately, you know, I think the argument of a mum and a dad relationship and why I think it's so important where, you know, is I'm kind of harder on, on the kids with that stuff. And then the mum's really good with the nurturing side. And that's, female quality right it's like females are really good at nurturing and probably overdoing that to an extent whereas males are, are, are more you know the man of the house is more like you know the kid could break his arm you're like get up you'll be right you know like yeah <laughs> we're too far that way that's why you know i think a male you know mum and dad in a child's life you have that you're already kind of ahead of the curve and and that's what i try to really instill in the kids is making sure like there's no free rides around here like you do something bad, I'm going to tell you about it. You do something good, I'm going to tell you about it. But you're going to carry your own weight around the house like as, as, as soon as you can, essentially. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, I can't tell you how, how, uh, how thankful I am for your time. Like, last thing you want to be doing is talking to me, but we've been trying <laughs> to do this for a while. And I've always you're harder to get. Fan. You're harder to get in the part, mate. You're harder to get on. No, I, I, it, was, it was like you give me a time. Like I'm coaching basketball that day, but like you're actually you're out ahead of it. Like I'm a I'm a fly by the seat of my pants. But we got it done. <laughs> yeah. And if you ever need me on your pod, uh, we want to do it again. You let me know. And but more than anything, man, thanks for your time and your knowledge and your honesty. I truly appreciate it. No worries. Anytime, man. Thanks. Okay. Uh, now you've heard his story, where he is as of now, and uh, so many honest, interesting thoughts from a dude who's uh, lived an incredible life. And now, as you know, part two to try and figure it out, I encourage you to download his podcast because he tells his stories in even more intricate detail. What a, what a great dude, right? Like, isn't that the guy you want to have? Like, the, the fact that he drinks coffee and that we had a coffee discussion, it's great. Um, love to have a cup of coffee with him sometime. Maybe I'll do that. Fly to, fly to Melbourne and have a cup of coffee. Uh, anyway, reminder, uh, download, subscribe, rate, write a review, tell a friend about this. We got good we got good stuff working here. And I do apologize if the language sometimes bothered you. It's just a real organic conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.